We'll be looking today in verses 30 through 44. However, for our reading, we're going to stop at verse 38. We'll stop at verse 38. We will look through verse 44 in the message. But for our reading, we're going to stop at verse 38. While you're turning there, during his first year of seminary, Alan Hirsch He led a small group of new converts that included gays, lesbians, goths, drug addicts, prostitutes, and some relatively ordinary people. After graduating, he and his wife were called to go to South Melbourne Church of Christ. This is in Australia. Back in 1989. They pastored there for 15 years. This group was later named South Melbourne Restoration Community. During these years, he and his wife planted two churches for the marginalized and the urban poor in Melbourne, Australia. Here he learned about being missional, about his whole life being on mission. He learned about being in the presence of God and being a giver of grace. In 2001, they opened a cafe and a nightclub in the entertainment district. Of Australia, of Melbourne, Australia. They did this to reach the people living on the fringe. One night, Deb was closing up, and a very nervous guy named Jason asked if she was working. Now, Deb didn't know if he meant on the street or in the cafe. She was unsure of what he was looking for, so Deb asked him what he wanted. His reply was he needed help to roll a joint. And then he showed her his hand, which was missing the first two fingers. Seeing his distress, she said yes. She followed him to the car. Uh, Deb, who came from the drug culture, before her conversion, didn't know if she could even remember how to do what she was asked to do. But she helped him. But as he began to smoke, he began to open up about his life to her. And she began to share, or he began to share his struggles with homosexuality. He began to share just how lonely he was. And and Deb, a former drug user who had a heart for ministry to the homosexuals, shared Jesus' love and grace with Jason. Alan writes, God brought Jason and Deb together in a strange way. Regardless of our stories, all disciples are called in some way to practice grace. Discern the activity of God in God's people's lives 
and join him on mission for his redemptive activity in the world. What I'm convinced of today is that if we open the eyes of our hearts, we'll see opportunities to join God as he seeks to redeem this world. Now, when I read this illustration, I, I thought about you. And I felt you really needed to hear this. Because God's not in this little box that we in Robinson County like to put him in. There are some of our churches, our Baptist churches, I couldn't have read that in and ever got another invitation to go back and preach. The pastor would have thought I was foolish. The people wouldn't have, they'd have tuned out as soon as I read this story. and wouldn't have heard nothing else I had to say. But this was real ministry. You know, it's easy to minister to people like us. You know how we were when we were lost. We were good people. We grew up in church. We went to church and, and we'd done the churchy stuff until we got tired of it and just went our way. And then we come back to the Lord. That's e- those are easy to minister to. But when you want to really get into ministry, we'll get out of our comfort zone. And it's not just a drug addict that we grew up with and we were in school with, but it's that one who looks different and who lives different than we do. But when we open the eyes of our heart, we begin to see opportunities to do real ministry for the Lord. You know, if we're titling this, just following the pattern that we've been going, it would be Jesus and his teaching of ministry. Jesus and his teaching of ministry. Of ministry. The Bible tells us in these verses, in chapter 6, verse 30 through 38, says the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place but many saw them leaving and recognized them and they ran on foot for from all the towns and arrived ahead of them when he went ashore ashore they he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd then he began to teach them many things when it grew late his disciples approached him and said This place is deserted and it is already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You you give them something to eat, he replied. He said to him, They said to him, should we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. This is God's 
holy word. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time, for this place. We thank you for this congregation, God, as we open your word today. Help us speak to our hearts and minds and help us to proclaim your truth as you would have us to. God, we pray that that each one that is here that would be receptive to your word and God, that we would not only receive it, but we would apply it to our lives and that we would move forward living our lives on mission for you. God, help us to do your ministry for your people. And God, we'll praise you for everything that's accomplished. Now, God, if there's one with us today that doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, God, sit with him, sit with her, minister to them during this time. Help them to see, God, reveal yourself to them that you are God and besides you there is no other and you love them so much that you gave your only begotten son so that they could have life and life more abundantly. Help them to see your son on a tree so that they could eat from the tree of life. Thank you, God, for loving us in spite of us. We look forward to what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Looking in today's text, Mark brings our attention back to the disciples returning from their ministry assignment that Jesus had given them. We know last week there was a a flashback, so to speak. We... Uh, Herod had heard about Jesus and all that he was doing. May have even heard about the assignments that he gave his apostles. But what we know is that the Bible flashes back. The gospel writer, he flashes back to when John the Baptist was beheaded. And now we see Mark, he's he's back to where these disciples have come back to to give a report of what has taken place uh they're they're reporting two things to Jesus what they had done and what they had taught Jesus had sent them out with specific instructions on how they were able to do ministry they were given authority over unclean spirits which should which with such authority that they were to go out in pairs they were to take nothing for the road except the staff they were to have no extra food no belongings no extra clothes or shoes but they were they were not just given instructions on what to carry with them and and how to live uh, they were given in specific instructions on what to teach or what to preach to those who welcomed them and they were to preach that the people should repent of their sins Their reporting to Jesus would give proof of their commitment to being disciples. It would not only prove their obedience to his commands, but it would also show that that they had observed him very well. Jesus' process for discipleship was a very simple process. Process. It was a process that was very easy for people to detect. He taught them. He sent them out. He had them return to him. And then he evaluated their report. It was that simple. He taught them. He sent them out with an expectation they would return. And they'd give a report. And then he would evaluate that report. You know what we don't like? Most of us don't like evaluations, do we? Don't 
you just hate it when, when you go to the doctor's office and you get an email or a text message telling you to give an evaluation of that doctor's office? Now, if you've had an unpleasant visit, you don't mind uh, don't filling that one out because you don't mind ripping people apart when you get the opportunity. Somebody say amen because you know it's true. <laughs> oh, if you're going to, if you have a poor experience at a restaurant, you don't mind getting on, on one of those websites and filling out a form saying how terrible the, the uh, service was. As a matter of fact, a few months ago, there was a group that went down to Dillon to, to one of the pizza joints, King's Pizza, and, and it was all over Facebook how terrible the service was. But you know what we don't know is what was going on that day. All we know is the bad report. What we don't know is whether someone had a death in the family. What we don't know is whether someone's child was sick. What we don't know is if someone just just had a bad day coming in. And we're quick to want to fill out those kind of evaluations. Well, evaluations are good. You know why? Because evaluations help others do better. The ones that you're evaluating, it gives them clarity of how other people see what you're doing. As a matter of fact, I'm saying that because next Sunday, those of you who are in Sunday school, you're going to fill out an evaluation or you're going to receive one. Whether you fill it out or not, that's yet to be seen. But we want it back if you fill it out. You won't have to put your names on it. We just want you to fill it out because it gives us information about what we're doing and whether it is profitable. To the kingdom of God or not. Yeah, the reporting is important. You know, I think a lot of our churches is where we're where we're at because we don't evaluate things. You know what we like to do? Oh man, we started that we started that program back in the 1970s and it worked great for us from 1970 to 1978. It ain't worked worth the flip since then, but 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 we've done no evaluations. But you can't you can't you can't do away with that program. You don't know my mama started that program. You ain't doing away with that program. My grandma started that program. No, you can't do away with it. But has, does it work? That's where churches who put Jesus in a box find themselves. And we have to make sure we're outside of that box. And we see Jesus bigger than the box. Their reporting would give Jesus proof that he needed But Jesus notices a problem. You know, as the disciples reported to him, they had, you you have to imagine, they had to be excited. They had to be on cloud nine. In verses 12 through 13 in the same chapter, the Bible says, so they went out and they preached that people should repent and they drove out demons. They anointed sick people with oil and they healed them. You know, when they come back, they had their chest bowed out. They, they felt great about the work they had done. But as they're telling Jesus what's going on, people kept coming to them. They kept coming and going, seeking help. So the apostles weren't even, they didn't even have time to eat. So many people were coming back and forth, back and forth. Back and forth. In verse 31, Jesus says to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. 
And Jesus and his disciples, they got in a boat and they headed to a remote place for a little rest. Now, as I got to this place in the text, I was reminded of a conversation I had with Brother Larry Chavis several years ago. I asked, why why do you continue to do all that you're doing rather than just retiring, stepping back and enjoying the blessings that God is affording you. He shared with me that he tried to adopt his mother's philosophy of life. You remember it. I'm pretty sure you've heard of it. You know, he says she liked to say it's better to wear out than to rust out. (laughs) You know, that's great advice. Uh, it, it really is. It is much better to be active and it's better to continue and keep moving than just to stop. Well, we all know when something rusts, what happens? It takes a lot of effort to ever get it working properly again. And if you let it rust and it rusts for so long, it begins to deteriorate. So it's better to just keep moving and remain active. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 10 and 4 says, idle, idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. Proverbs 31 and 27 says, speaking of a virtuous woman, she watches over her activities of her household and is never idle. Now, while it is better... It is much better to wear out than to rust out. We must avoid burnout. One way to avoid burnout is to get the necessary rest that our bodies need. The necessary rest that even our minds need. Being a workaholic is not spiritual regardless of what they tell you. In fact, this can be sinful because some people make work and even ministry itself an idol. If we are not careful, we'll get so bogged down in taking care of the work of the ministry that we forget to take care of the relationship between uh, with the one that, that gives us the authority to do the work of the ministry. The ministry is not ours. It's his. And we can't do the work of ministry if we're burnt out. So getting the proper rest is needed to prepare for ministry. We see this. Jesus wants to take them away. Now, the question becomes, why is it so important to Jesus to take the disciples away? Well, he knew that proper rest would open their eyes to ministry or ministry opportunities. To understand this, it helps us to understand what Jesus meant by rest. You know, we hear that and we want to think, well, he wants us to go and just lounge around for, for a few days and just, just take every, get everything else off our minds and just lay like veggies, vegetables. You know, you know what vegetables do on the plate? They just lay there. You know, but that ain't what he, Jesus is meaning. You know, because some people will take too long of a vacation. They'll take too long of a rest. You ever, you ever had so much time off that you hated to go back to work? Amen. Have you had such time off that you had to take time off to be ready to go back to work? You know? 
You know, so, some of you men, you understand that better than the women because your women's work you to death during, during your vacation time. And whether it's at the house or whether it's away, they want you walking and riding and, and going into every and other store that you, you come to. They wear you out. You need a break before you can go back to work at the vacation. That's not rest. Now, my wife don't do me that way because she has our daughter. Now, I don't know what she's going to do when, when Taylor no longer is going with us on vacation. When she no longer goes on us on, with us on vacation, I don't think I'm going to get to sleep as much as I get to sleep or, or lay around as much as, or read as much as I get to read. Now, what Jesus meant, <laughs> Jesus wanted them to relax and rest their bodies, yes, But more than that, they needed to refuel and refresh their minds and their spirits. It's not time that we take away and escape to do nothing. We're taking a break from ministry. We don't take a break from our relationship and our fellowship with God. Yes, we do need a day off from time to time. We may need a weekend off from time to time or even a week off occasionally. But, but I great, and I greatly appreciate what this church does and how you give me time away. Uh, but even in my time away, from my duties here at the church, I still seek to spend time with the Lord. And once we're refueled, we're, we're to return to, back to the ministry that we're called to do. Once Jesus went ashore, he saw this great crowd, this great crowd, and he had compassion on them. He had compassion because he saw them. He saw a people who were as if they were sheep without a shepherd. In John 10, 12, and 13, it says the hired hand, since he is not a shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away. And when he sees a wolf coming, the wolf then snatches and scatters the sheep. Jesus knew that the religious leaders of Israel didn't care about the welfare of these people. And they cared only about their own prestige, only about their own notoriety. In fact, they were worried about the following that Jesus was having. And the reason people flocked to Jesus was because he cared for them. Because he cared for the ones that the religious leaders wanted nothing to do with. Jesus could see the people were bewildered. He could see that they were just wandering about. He could see that they needed what he could provide. And if he had said, no, I'm on vacation. No, I'm I'm taking a break right now. Then the, the people would have just been scattered. So instead... Their time, their break was cut short because there was ministry to do. And he began to teach them many things. You know, D.L. Moody told the story of his conversion this way. He said, when I was in Boston, I used to attend Sunday school. And one day my teacher came to the shop that I worked at. He walked behind the counter, put his hand on my shoulder, and he talked to me about Christ and my soul. I had not felt that I had a soul until then. I said to myself, this is a very strange thing. Here is a man who never saw me until here lately. And he's weeping over my sins 
And I've never shed a tear over my sins. But I wondered, but I understood it now. And I know what it is to have passion for men's souls and to weep over their sins. I don't remember what he said, but I can still feel the power of that man's hand on my shoulder tonight. Years later, he could still feel the power of the man's hand on his shoulder. You know, if we truly want to do ministry, we must open our eyes and we must look with compassion. I know we all see people all the time, but the real question is, are our eyes open? What I mean is, do we see beyond their circumstance? And and do we see that they are lost? Can we see that they have... They have no one to help guide them to the truth of the gospel. Can we see them in, a, in the same light that Jesus saw us in our sins? Whenever we see anyone lost, we should never see the activity in their life. But instead, we should see the need that they have right in that moment. And that need is Jesus. Just like you and I, we were lost in the trespass of our sins. We needed someone to have compassion on us. We needed someone to see our helpless state. And we needed someone empowered with the authority of, of God to share the gospel with us. And we needed someone to call out to God on our behalf, folks. That must be the reaction of each and every born again believer. We must see people who are lost as people who are lost and in need of a savior. We must see that they need someone to call out to God on their behalf. We must realize that God has empowered us with his Holy Spirit and with the gospel to share with those who are lost and without the good shepherd in this world. Yes, we, when we have the right rest, we can open our eyes And things will come to a true perspective. We can see the ministry that's out there waiting for us. We got too many young preachers coming along wanting to run roughshod in the church. Thinking their pastor's behind the times when he's just so much more experienced He's seen so much, and he understands the will of God much better than the young ones. We need to open our eyes. There's ministry out there for us all to do. There's more than we could ever accomplish. There's, if we open our eyes. We can't open our eyes without the proper rest. But with proper rest, Jesus also knew that we'll have a tendency to open our hearts to meet the needs of others. Isn't that what this season is about? God opened himself and sent his son to this sin-cursed world because he saw your need and my need. And he sent us the greatest gift. I believe that's why this time of year people are more generous than any other time of the year. They don't even realize it. (laughs) They don't even realize it, but it's God working. You know, here in this text, the Bible teaches us that the day was getting long. 
Jesus appeared to be wrapping up his teaching to this massive group. And the apostles approached Jesus to suggest that, you know, we need to send these people away. They've had nothing to eat. They're getting hungry, and they need to go find themselves something to eat. But Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Just because Jesus had sent them out and they returned with good reports didn't mean their training was over. They still, in that moment, needed to learn that they had much more to learn. So they asked Jesus, well, what should we do? Should we go and purchase 200 denarii worth of bread in hopes that that would cover what's here? But Jesus had another idea. Jesus had a better idea. You know, Jesus, when he changes our plans, we ought to just follow suit and willfully just go along with him. Because Isaiah 55 and 9 says, For the heaven is higher than the earth, and my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts are higher than yours. So here are these 12. They suggested that Jesus send the people off. But Jesus said, No, you feed them. Jesus told the apostles, you give them something to eat. Now, you, had to, you have to admit, this, this had to sound strange to them. This had to have them bewildered. This, they had to just step back and say, what do you mean us feed them? There's 12 of us. There's 5,000 men. You know what that would mean? There's anywhere from 10 to 15,000 plus with women and children. Now here, we know these 12 men. Certainly they didn't carry around enough food with them for 5,000 people, let alone 10 to 15 plus thousand, or 10 to 15,000 plus. But Jesus told them, just check around. See what you have. See how many loaves is out there. And they brought back to Jesus a lunch. (laughs) A lunch. Two fish, five loaves of bread. You're thinking, preacher, that's more than lunch. Nah. Nah, if you really do a study on this, it wasn't. It was more like two sardines and five and five crackers. I don't know. I weren't there. That's what the scholars teach us. Maybe they teach us to make it sound bigger than what it is. But five loaves, two fish, 5,000 men plus women and children. And Jesus said, set them out there. <laughs> I, you know, I told you, I told you a couple weeks ago, God is a God of order. He tells them, sit them out there. Sit them in hundreds and fifties. In other words, sit them in an order, in an orderly fashion. And not just sit them out in, in groups of hundreds and fifties. Make sure they're on the grass. I, I can't give you anything spiritual about that. But he said, make sure they're on the grass. they brought Jesus what they had and Jesus took the bread he blessed it then he broke it and as the apostles began to give the fish it multiplied so to where everyone got their fill and they had 12 baskets left you know what reading Mark's account of this it reminds me of Elijah and a widow over in the Old Testament, over in 
in first Kings chapter 17, we find that there's a famine. Elijah has actually announced a famine in the land. And the word of the Lord came to him to go to Zarephath and, and a woman there would provide for him. And when he arrived, he saw a widow gathering up wood. And Elijah called to her to bring him some water. And as she went to get the water, he asked her to bring him a, a, a piece of cake or a, a, a piece of bread that she had baked. And, and she told him, listen, uh, I'm gathering wood right now because I only have a handful of flour. And I have just a bit just a bit of oil, just enough I'm going to fix for me and my son and then we're going to die. Elijah said to her that the Lord God of Israel said the flour jar would not become empty and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. So she did exactly what Elijah asked in the flower jar. It never become empty. The oil never run out. Folks, whenever Jesus has a plan for our lives, we need to just follow his plan because it's bigger than ours. Whenever we don't understand and we want to we just push back because that's something different than we've ever known. I imagine it was different for them guys to take five loaves and two fish and, and feed 5,000 men plus women and children. Things can seem to be different and we can be unsure. But if God is leading us, if we can trust that God is in it, then we can know it's going to be all right some of the same ones who were confused about what we were saying when we were going to turn this church around come to me later and said preacher I couldn't understand it but I like what we've done now to effectively do ministry we have to open our hearts we have to open our hearts and this may mean that we have to close off all the preconceived notions that we have. You know, in Matthew 25, in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40, the Bible says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something and to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, whenever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It's impossible. 
for us to demonstrate to this world that we love the gospel when we hold on to preconceived notions. If we want, if it's important for us to demonstrate to the world that we love the gospel, then we must open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see the need in the lives of people. Too often we look at people in their circumstance and we judge them based upon our circumstances. We often judge them with the preconceived idea that, that it's, and all things are equal in this world and everyone has the same opportunity. But as Americans, we pride ourselves on this and we say this is the actual the case but in reality it's nowhere near close the bible teaches us that the poor will be with us always so it isn't an equal world we're not all on the same footing some of you have clear minds there are people out there who's been to war or there's people who's been traumatized in their in their family's lives and and they they just can't process things well enough to hold down a job there are people in this world who, who don't have the, the capacity to do some of the things that you and I do. It's no fault of their own. It's the circumstances that they were dealt. You know why they were dealt it? So you and I would help them when we come in contact with them. The, Will there be people who will take advantage of situations? Yes, people are people wherever you go. And we're going to have that with people. But if we want to serve in the ministry that Jesus has called us to, we can't close off our hearts to others. I wonder, and maybe it needs to happen. <laughs> so I can see for myself how I would respond. When someone who looks and smells like they're strung out walks in and starts to look for a seat, how does the people of God hear? How will we respond? You don't know. I don't know. We won't know till it happens. Somebody be brave enough to pray that it happens. If it's important to us to demonstrate to this world that we not only love the gospel, but we're going to live the gospel, we must open our hearts to provide for the needs of others. It, God hasn't blessed us to hoard up for ourselves to have whatever we want, but instead he's blessed us so that we can sacrificially give to those in need so that he can continue to bless us. In Isaiah 66 and 1, God said through the prophet, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. He's never going to run dry. And if it's his and I'm his son and you're his children, then it's ours. Now, he's a good father. He's not waiting for us to die. He, or he's not going to die, so he's not waiting for him to die to pass on an inheritance. He wants us to receive it now. It's okay to have things, but when things have us, we close our hearts to living out the gospel because the more we have or the more that has us, the more we want. If it's important to us to share the gospel, then we must open our hearts to whosoever will.
that we come in contact with that's lost. We can't pick and choose who we're going to share the gospel with and think that we're doing the Lord's ministry. We might be doing our ministry, but it's not the Lord's ministry. We must seek to do his ministry. And when we have proper rest, when our focus is on him, when I say when we have proper rest, I mean when our relationship with him is in its proper place. We'll open our eyes and we'll open our hearts. Michael W. Smith recorded these words. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. So pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Every head bowed, every eye closed as they come to prepare this invitation. That is my prayer for us. That he opens the eyes of our hearts. My heart, your heart. So that we can respond in faith. So that we can see him high and lifted up, shining in the light of his glory. So we can see that he's pouring out his love and his power. So that we can with whole hearts sing, holy, holy, holy. I pray this is your desire too for our church. That God will just move upon us in a way that we're We'll be known in this community and wherever we go as people who love, who live, and who share the truth of the gospel with whosoever will. As you are praying and you are seeking God, as you are talking with Him about preparing your heart, your eyes, there may be someone here today who needs to open their heart to Jesus. You need to have eyes to see that you're in need of a Savior. And if you would trust, what I mean, if you believe Jesus is God's only begotten Son, and you'll believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, today you can be saved. Do you see your need? In your heart, do you believe who he is? As they sing this song of invitation, would you come? Would you come as the church is praying? Would you come and surrender your life to Jesus? Would you come?